Wow. Hey guys, my name's Colin. Um, I am the director of middle school ministries here at the Tapestry. Um, before I get into it, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about myself if you don't, if you don't know me. Um, one of the things is that I thrive, I'm an extrovert, so I thrive off of other people's energy, okay? So you're the, here this morning, you're sitting in your pew and you're just... It's, it's not going to help me. So I'm saying let's work together. Shout some amens. Give me, give me some, some, you know, we're going we're gonna to get into it. It's going to be a good time. I'm, I'm excited. Um, okay, so I want to tell you five quick passions of mine um, so you get to know me a little bit better. Okay, so the first thing, I'm passionate about Jesus. Um, the second thing I'm passionate about is seeing young people know Jesus. Um, the third thing I love, I love backpacking, I love hiking, staying overnight in God's creation. It's one of the best things. I'm super passionate about it. Fourth thing I'm passionate about is empowering the local church. And the fifth thing that I'm passionate about is family. And uh, today I want to talk about my family a little bit. I actually want to tell you today about the one time in my life um, that my family actually really messed me up. And so... Um, I, I don't even think uh, they've even heard this story because I was so scarred from it, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't tell them. And so when they hear it later, they're in for a treat. Um, <laughs> so I can't actually remember how old I was. I think it was kindergarten or grade one. Actually, f fair warning, parents, I wasn't expecting so many young kids to be in here, so you're also in for a treat. Um, <laughs> so we were in the season of Christmas, and... Uh, up until that point, I'd been a really good boy because we were in that season, and, that I, and I knew at midnight, December 24th, something big was happening. Santa was coming. And I was living in expectation of Santa, and it actually changed how I behaved in that season. It changed how I honored my family and friends around me. Um, I, I did all my chores. Whoa, so good. Chores. Um, I didn't complain uh, when my mom and my dad dragged me to my sister's really extremely boring dance recitals. Those were the worst, but I didn't complain. And three, I made my bed all the time. I lived in expectation of Santa, and it changed how I behaved. And so on December 24th, I got to bed on time, uh, but not before setting out some of my mom's famous shortbread cookies. If you know my mom, just ask her for those cookies. Don't tell her I told you that. The second thing I set out was some skim milk, because Santa's getting big, and so he has to fit in my chimney, so I had to set out some skim milk. And, um, and, uh, and I was so pumped. I was so excited, because I knew that I had been such a good boy, and I wasn't getting no coal. So I went to bed. I started going to sleep, and then all of a sudden I heard something. And I was like, uh-oh, it's Santa. And so I got up, and I was like, this is my chance. This is my chance to see Santa in the flesh, first time. Okay, so I, I, I slept on the second floor, and uh, there was a balcony that overlooked the fireplace. And so what I did, I didn't want to scare, uh, scare Santa, so I got on my stomach, and I, and I slithered. I slithered my way. This is me, kindergarten, slithering, slithered my way, okay? And then, and then there's the balcony, and the fireplace is here. And to my surprise, 
and nobody else is here, there he was in all of his glory. My father, (laughs) there eating my mom's famous shortbread, (laughs) drinking skim milk, and putting gifts into my stocking. My world was shattered, and all I could muster was (gasps) Today, we talk about what it means to live in expectation of God who doesn't let you down like Santa does, but actually comes and fulfills everything that's been promised about him. So today, I want to start by talking about what this text tells us about who Jesus is, And then we're going to talk about why it's relevant to us today. And then we're going to finally explore how this text actually changes and shapes how we live. So let's dive into the text. We're in Matthew 21. And it says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and once... And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so the first thing I want you to see in this text is that Jesus is actually heading into a major city. He's headed to Jerusalem during Passover, and people from all over were gathering to celebrate. Pilgrim Jews from all over the all corners of the world were coming into this one major national festival. And so the stage was set for Jesus to make his entrance. And this is a city that has been corrupted by greed. It was a city under Roman oppression. And it was a city desperately in need of a king. This was a city that was desperately in need of Jesus. And I hope as I list out what this city was like, I hope that it sounds familiar. Because we live in a major city that is desperately in need of Jesus. So some friends of mine are actually planting a church in the city, and, and they looked up some rem- like remarkable stats about it, and, and they're actually quite staggering and scary. So I want to share those with you. So Vancouver is the most densely populated city in Canada. It is also the most religiously 
unaffiliated city in North America. Our homeless population is the highest it's ever been recorded in history. It is both a destination and a transit point for global trafficking. We live in a beautiful city, but we also live in a very broken city. It is so evident that we live in a time and a city that is desperate for a savior king. Our friends, our families, and our world need Jesus. So what does this text tell us about who Jesus is? I think the first thing that this text tells us about who Jesus is, is that he always works in the way that we need, not necessarily in the way that we want. What the Jews were wanting was a conquering hero, one that would free them from Roman oppression. But what they got was a humble servant riding on a donkey. And as I was researching for this message, actually I found out that um, this wasn't the first triumphal entry that's ever taken place in Jerusalem. Tim Keller actually talks about this as he says, on the one hand, this looks like all other triumphal entries. 200 years ago, Simon Maccabeus had defeated foreign armies and kept Israel independent as he rode into Jerusalem with people shouting cheers and waving palm branches as he delivered them. This triumphal entry, Jesus's triumphal entry, parodies the entries of kings and armies. Victors in battle do not ride into their capital cities on asses, but on fearsome horses. But this kind does not and will not triumph through a force of arms. What Jesus is doing here is he's flipping the script on the Jews. He rides in humbly on a donkey instead of a mighty horse. He's not the proud, conquering hero. He's the savior king. I think often we consume what Jesus has to offer us. And uh, I think our prayers or our conversations with Jesus often sound like, hey, Jesus, we're praying for this. Um, God, if you could give us this. Jesus, can you do this? Can you do that? If you could do this, that would be really great. And and sometimes those things that we're praying for aren't things that are actually in our best interest. God understands and provides us with the things that we need even if that means not providing us with the things that we want. Jesus always has our best interest at heart. So that's the first thing. The second thing that this passage tells us about Jesus is that he's faithful. In verse 5 it says, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They're actually quoting scripture here. And it's actually taken from Zechariah 9.9 where it says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is faithful to the word that was spoken about him. He's our king that always delivers on his promises. And I've actually seen this uh, recently at our spring retreat. Um, three, three or four weeks ago, uh, we had our annual youth retreat. And uh, 
And, and it was a retreat where we saw God do amazing things. And so I want to share one of those moments with you. On the second day of our retreat, um, I was in the shower. And uh, man, I think the last time I was, I was up on this platform, they don't get me up here very often because I think I talk about my shower times too much. Um, Anyways, I was in the shower that day, and, and uh, I, was, I was praying in the midst of the aroma of my body wash, and, and the, it was great, and I was just praying in faith for God that night to give us a taste of his kingdom, and, and I was really believing for that, and, and, and as I was listening and I was praying in faith for God to give us a taste of his kingdom that night, I heard God speak to me in one of the clearest voices I've ever heard him speak. And this is what he said. He said, Colin, if you believe, I will deliver. Colin, if you believe, I will deliver. And so I was like, this is so good. This is so good. I went to the leaders team and I was like, guys, here's what God said to me. He said, if, if we believe together that he's going to bring a taste of his kingdom, he's going to deliver. And so the leader's like, all right, let's do it. And so we got together and we were just praying for a taste of the kingdom and we were believing that God was going to deliver. We prayed and we believed and God delivered. That night, lives were changed. Students rededicated their lives. Youth and youth leaders alike both found freedom in different ways. That night, youth leaders were praying for youth. Youth were praying for youth leaders. Youth leaders praying for youth leaders. Youth praying for youth. It was one of the most beautiful moments that I've ever had the privilege of witnessing and being a part of. We believed and God delivered. He was faithful in showing up, just like he shows up for the Jews as he fulfills this prophecy in Zechariah. Jesus is our God who is faithful, and he always has our best interest at heart. We desperately need this God in our lives and in this major city that we live in. So how do we welcome in this Jesus to our lives and our city, just like the Jews were doing during the triumphal entry. I think it's about living expectantly. And living expectantly looks a lot like living a life of worship. We see the crowd, and there's four things that I think we need to take note of. The first is that the crowd is saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna translates to Lord, save us. And then the cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is worship. The crowd is worshiping Jesus with their lips and they're releasing a cry for deliverance and hope. They're worshiping and they're ascribing worth to Jesus by recognizing him as their savior and their king. The second thing we see is that the crowd is spreading their cloaks on the road before Jesus. And in 2 Kings 9.13, it reads, The act of spreading out the garment was one of recognition, loyalty, and promise of support. The crowd recognizes Jesus as their king and shows him their loyalty and promise of support. 
They worship Jesus through their actions. They're laying down, they're surrendering to their true king, the king of all kings, Jesus. The third thing we see, just like the kids were doing, they're, they're waving palm branches. And this was a symbol of victory and success. Um, there's this beautiful part in Revelations where John recounts uh, his vision, and it goes like this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they're holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I think that's such beautiful imagery. It's a beautiful picture of what it looks like when God's people, His church, are fulfilled in their expectation, and they're declaring His victory and success. That is ascribing worth. That is ascribing glory to God through the waving of palm branches. This is worship. The fourth response of worship that we see is actually obedience. When we see Jesus tell his disciples to find a colt and tell some people that the Lord needs us, and they listen immediately and obey him. They listen to God, and that is worship too. Listening and obedience is a part of worship that I think that we often forget. But we need to remember, and this is our reminder today, that, that we can give worth and glory to God by listening and obeying him. And G- Jesus models this perfectly in five days in the ultimate act of obedience when he obeys his father and he goes to the cross to atone for our sin. Jesus worships his Father through listening and obeying. And I think that we need to listen and obey our Heavenly Father as well. It's so clear that living in expectation is in direct correlation of living a life of worship. So there was four examples of worship that we just looked at. Worship through speech, through our mouths. Two, through our actions, the waving of palm branches. Three, a posture of surrender, a laying down. And four, is listening and obeying. I think living in expectation is so radically different than the way that a lot of us have been living. This passage has really been convicting me as I prepare for it because I realize that I actually haven't been living expectantly. And this was God's reminder, a message for me, that I actually need to shift my heart from living in complacency to living into one of expectancy. And so maybe that's for some of you here today as well, that you need to move from complacency to expectancy. Some people here, just like me, have been just going through the motions. Sunday church has become just a routine. Every spiritual discipline has been a chore. I believe that God is saying to you today that you need to stop living 
in complacency and move into expectation. Maybe some of you are here, are, they're, you're tired of asking God for things because you're not actually really believing that He delivers. Today, come out of complacency and live in expectancy. When we live in expectation, everything changes. If I told you today that when you leave these doors, that there was free LA chicken waiting for you outside. LA chicken, the best chicken in Richmond. I'm preaching now for sure. Amen. Hey. It would shift how you're sitting today. <laughs> You'd start getting a little hungry. You'd start thinking about the crispy chicken, the golden crust, the tender inside. Your posture would change. I'm really sorry to let you down. There's no LA chicken. But I want you to see that living in expectation is a choice and it changes how we live. It changes our posture. So some of you here might be sitting and saying, hey, call, this sounds great. But you have to understand, I've got a full-time job, or I'm in full-time school, or I have kids, and they have programs, and I barely have my own personal downtime. I'm too busy to work on my physical health, let alone my spiritual health. Here's what I want you to hear today. Living in expectation can happen in your everyday. You don't have to do anything that, like, you got to not have to, like, quit your job and start working for a church. Living in expectation, living a life of worship can be in your workplace, your school. You can live in expectation when your, your kid is at their soccer game or dance recital. You can choose to worship and live in expectation of a God in your most mundane and in your most exciting. It's this way of living, this intentional choice to live in expectation that will begin to see a shift of culture, a shift in our city. In verse 10, it says this beautiful part, and I love this. And it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred. And, it, and they asked, who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus. Beginning today, would we come out of complacency and begin living in expectation of a faithful king who works in the ways that we need, not necessarily in the ways that we want? Would we begin to shape and stir up a city by our worship because I'm believing that we're living in expectation of a God who always delivers when we believe. He is worthy of our worship. He delivers as expected, and he is mighty to save. So today we cry, Hosanna. Lord, save us. Lord, save our families. Lord, save our friends. Lord, save our church. Lord, save our city. Blessed is he who comes 
in the name of the Lord. Amen.